Last Wednesday, so call it five, six days ago, Premier Jason Kenney uh, gave us the update on the situation in Alberta's healthcare system. And at that time, he told us at the current rate, the ICU system in the province of Alberta could be completely overrun within 10 days. So we're more than halfway there. Uh, We'll have to wait and see what the numbers are later today. Of course, um, they're not reported over the weekend. So we don't know if hospital numbers went up or went down over the weekend. But based on the trend that we saw, they have steadily gone up. Uh, And there wasn't a lot of room left. So when we get to that point, if we do, and God forbid that we do, nobody wants us to get there. But what does that mean? If we get to the situation where the healthcare system gets to that breaking point and we just can't provide critical care to everybody who needs it, um, how does that work? According to a government document, it will be reserved for patients with the greatest chance of survival. So doctors are put in just a horrid position. So to find out how close we are, um, what kind of discussions have taken place, and, and how that would look, we're joined now by Dr. Noel Gibney, who is a professor emeritus in the Department of Critical Care Medicine at the University of Alberta. Dr. Gibney, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Shay. Thank you for having me. So this is a discussion that we had um, a while ago, uh, back in previous waves. We never got there. It seems to me like we're closer this time around than we ever have been before. We know we have more patients in ICU in this province than we ever have in the history of this province. How close do you think we are to actually um, having to take this last drastic step? Well, we'll certainly have a better idea later today. Um, But again, looking at at where we were last Friday, the estimation was that we were anywhere from seven to ten days from not having any more room in any of the ICUs in the province, uh, which would take us to, I guess, probably somewhere around end of September. Um, which is pretty close at this mm. point in time. Yeah, very close. So, I mean, I know this isn't something that you guys will be winging inside of the hospitals. There is protocol in place. There is a document to refer to. Um, just walk us through that document. Has it been around for a long time, or is this something that was drawn up specifically because of the pandemic? It was drawn up significantly, or specifically because of the pandemic. Uh, an earlier draft of this was developed uh, for H1N1, but thankfully never had to be used. And, and so that some of that original draft was dusted off uh, probably just before the pandemic hit, recognizing that at some time this could happen. And then since, I guess, March 2020, as I understand it, the document has been progressively revised and was finally published uh, and made public in uh, during the, the third wave, right. I, I guess, in April, May of this year. Um, and and it's, it, it's a very comprehensive document. Um, and, and to some extent, I suspect it'll be difficult to put into place. What it does, though, is it makes sure that if we find ourselves in that really unenviable and horrible place of having to decide who gets taken off their ICU ventilator, and uh, who then gets the bed that's created when the patient is taken off the ventilator and put on palliative care. And as you said, the the purpose is to make sure that the maximum number of patients who have the best chance of survival are offered the the, the, the chance of being supported with critical care um, rather than leaving it to the discretion of every single doctor. And, and in large measure, the, the, the doctors at the bedside 
won't be the only ones making those decisions. There'll be a triage team that they will refer to just to have a sense of, okay, where are we in the province? And, and because it, it, it's going to be exceedingly difficult because I can imagine the situation where there's somebody, so we've run out of beds. Yeah. And there's somebody uh, in one of the hospitals, say, in Calgary or Edmonton, who isn't doing well. And they then meet the criteria for having their critical care withdrawn and put on palliative therapy. So that would be confirmed. The family would be notified that the family, if that decision is made to take somebody off a ventilator, the family then would not have right of appeal the patient would then be taken off the ventilator, put on palliative care, would probably pass away quickly. Then the, the, the emergency departments and the medical units around the province would be surveyed to see who's waiting for an ICU bed. And then all of those individuals would be would have been assessed using different um, statistical tools just to see which of them, based on previous medical illness, current state, etc., um, what their probability of surviving one year would be. And, you know, uh, doc, this is, like you say, it wouldn't be a doctor at the bedside necessarily making these decisions because it's pretty clearly broken down in this document so that doctors aren't in the position where they have to make this decision on the fly. There's some pretty clear benchmarks, like you say, who has the best probability of surviving one year. So there's different factors that go into it, but they are sort of laid out in the document. Correct. And and again, it's based on numbers of studies, so it has a scientific base. It's something that would be fairly easy, obviously morally difficult, to implement in somebody that's in an ICU because you have lots of time. The challenge is going to be when somebody is deteriorating quickly, either on one of the medical units or in an emergency department, and the decision needs to be taken within a minute or two as to whether or not that patient should be actively resuscitated, have a breathing tube put in, have their blood pressure supported. And so those decisions are probably going to have to be taken without necessarily having the benefit of further discussions. And and so I I think it is going to be much more complicated in, in clinical practice than as it's laid out in the document. You know, and, and and despite the fact that it is laid out in the document, it is still chilling to read some of these things, Doctor. Like in phase one, patients with an 80% probability of dying within a year will be denied critical care. Phase two, those with a 50% probability of death within a year right. would be denied critical care. I mean, those are it, it's jarring for me as a layman to read those sorts of things, but as a doctor, I can't imagine knowing that you could provide an extra year of life to somebody if you had the facilities to do it. I mean, that's just, it's a horrible, horrible situation. I mean, absolutely, Shay. And uh, I mean, I I can't imagine having to do that, um, but recognizing that if you don't do it, uh, potentially that um, that there just just isn't a bed for them. And and so one of the other things I think that's really important in all of this is, is that the province really has to develop plans to transfer as many patients as possible, as soon as possible, out of province, probably to Ontario, which has agreed to take uh, Alberta patients. They have a much larger ICU bed base, even on a population basis, than Alberta. 
and and the more patients that we can at this point in time safely because again it will it will be challenging but but can be done and has been done in Europe during some of their waves then we we open up capacity in our ICUs in Alberta making it less likely that we have to to implement uh, triage and uh, and even if we do have to implement triage that we will have to do it much less often yeah, and the situation is none of us wanted to get there, for sure. Uh, there, there's, there's no doubt about it. So we're in a position where airlifting out is probably the best option. You know, we, we've heard some doctors saying, you need to bring the military in now. We need to get those field hospitals set up. I mean, I imagine for somebody in your position, uh, you know, a, a critical care physician, you'll there, let's do anything and everything we can before we get into a triage situation, right? Let's exhaust every possibility. Uh, absolutely. The, 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 the challenge is that, unfortunately, the, the military won't be able to help us in ICUs with um, field hospitals because the, the military, the, the, there, there may be a, a few military nurses um, and, and doctors who are critically, uh, critically care trained. But where, where the military can help us is the military have facilities to do significant airlifts of patients, and they airlifted a number of patients from Manitoba to Ontario in the third wave. Uh, I, I suspect that the numbers that we might need to airlift would, would be such that we may also need for Alberta to negotiate with there are private medevac companies that medevac usually foreigners from Canada and repatriate them back to their home countries. And they use critical care nurses and doctors to do this. And basically what you have to have is a mobile intensive care unit, all of the equipment that you have in an ICU in the back of an airplane. And during the first wave in France and Italy, what they actually had was they had critical care trains. They basically turned the inside of trains into ICUs and they transported them from France and Italy to Germany where they really have a huge number of ICU beds. And they also did the same with, with planes. Military planes were uh, used to uh, transport patients from France and Italy to, to Germany. And, and so the sooner we actually have those discussions with the military and with uh, uh, private medevac companies, the sooner we can start moving people from the ICUs in Alberta to Ontario mm-hmm. so that we, we, we don't have to implement triage uh, protocol. Yeah, and the clock is ticking and uh, and time is short. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome, Shay. Thank you. That is Dr. Noel Gibney, who is Professor Emeritus in the Department of Critical Care Medicine at the University of Alberta. And um, it'll be interesting to see what those numbers tell us today. Um, basically, we're going to get three, four days worth of numbers reported later this afternoon. And uh, typically... Well, I mean, you've seen you, you've seen where we are. You've seen the numbers. You know how we are. Um, and the ICUs continue to tick up. And uh, we know that last week it was a crisis to the point we had to move some things and change some things and uh, put out appeals to other provinces to take ICU patients. And um, it's a bleak situation right now in our healthcare system. Um, and, I mean, do, do you reasonably expect to see things reversing? based on what happened last week already. I think they will help for sure. We're seeing vaccination rates go up, um, you know, and the restrictions will certainly help. There's no doubt. But that takes time to trickle through to the system, right? And people 
who arrive in the ICU today were probably a new case a week or two ago. We know how it works. They're all lagging indicators. You've heard all the terms throughout the course of this pandemic. So um, even if we've reached the peak in new cases today, and I'm not saying we have, we'll, we'll see what the numbers uh, tell us later today, but even if we've reached the peak in new cases as of later today, that does not mean we've reached the peak in people ending up in hospital because they're coming through from a week or two away. So fingers crossed, you know, do what you can. Do what you can. Stay safe. 